Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Today is Saturday, April 18th, 2020. On this day in 1946, the International Court of Justice held its inaugural sitting at the Peace Palace in the Netherlands. President Judge José Gustavo Guerrero was sworn in as the world court's new leader amongst hundreds of witnesses. This sparked the dawn of a new era, one where international criminal justice might finally help us achieve world peace. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the inauguration of the International Court of Justice, the head judicial organization for the United Nations. The ICJ became the new world court after the Permanent Court of International Justice and the League of Nations were dissolved in 1946. Let's go back to the Netherlands on April 18, 1946. It was a beautiful spring day filled with hope as the tulips began to bloom in The Hague. Some of the world's most prominent heads of justice passed through iron gates beyond the lush green lawn to enter the doors of the Peace Palace. They each took their seats in the grand courtroom. Everyone who sat in that room knew they were about to witness an iconic piece of world history. As of today, the Permanent Court of International Justice was permanent no longer. It was dissolved along with the League of Nations. The League, which was formed in 1920, had weakened during World War II. Some even felt it had put its own interests ahead of the interests of the people. Now that the war was over, it was time for a new world government to step in, one that people trusted to get the job done. And today was the beginning of a new dawn. Today was the day the United Nations and the International Court of Justice would take the throne. Now they would be the ones to peacefully settle the disputes and large-scale crimes between nations. They would be the ones to bring hope and promise back to the people, and one day maybe even help humanity finally achieve world peace. Everyone was signaled to rise as silence descended upon the courtroom. The doors swung open and in marched the 15 judges that would make up the new International Court of Justice, or ICJ. Each one dressed in long black robes with a traditional white jabot around their necks. The men that made up this panel of judges were each carefully selected, some former members of the Permanent Court of International Justice, or PCIJ, themselves. They each came from a different country around the world. Jules Badvant from France, Su Mo from China, Abdel Hamid Badawi Pasha from Egypt, as well as others from the Soviet Union, Poland, the US, Yugoslavia, and more. As everyone was signaled to take their seats, 
one man remained standing. This was José Gustavo Guerrero from El Salvador, the last president of the PCIJ and now the very first president of the International Court of Justice. One of the first things he mentioned was the presence of Dutch royalty, Princess Juliana, and Prince Bernhardt. He believed their presence gave the ICJ great credibility and announced that their support was a shining testimony of its desire of justice that drives through the centuries the Dutch nation. From here, José Gustavo Guerrero was sworn in, in front of hundreds of leaders, press, and fellow judiciaries. His promise went as follows. I solemnly declare that I would exercise my duties and powers as judge honorably, faithfully, impartially, and conscientiously. The court continued to swear in other members of its registry as the audience watched, patient and respectful. The first president of the UN General Assembly, Paul Henri Spock, also spoke that morning. He expressed his optimism in the new organization and the faith he had in this brand new judiciary system. He stated, We are convinced, we have full assurance that it will soon regain its balance with all its power and all its wealth that it had before the war, and that it will be again the place of freedom and of the powerful civilization that it was before the war. Members of the UN, like Ivan S. Kurno, the Assistant Secretary General for Legal Affairs, waited patiently in line to take their place at the microphone. Each announced their good faith in the new judiciary system and their hope for the future of our planet. Now that World War II was over, perhaps we could turn a new leaf it was time for the court to step up and settle cross-nation disputes in accordance with international law. These 15 men, who would go on to serve terms of three, six, or nine years by random selection, would also be the men to offer peaceful resolutions. Resolutions to some of the most complex legal and criminal disputes mankind has ever known. Coming up, we'll take a look at some of the work the ICJ and the United Nations has gone on to achieve. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, back to the story. On April 18, 1946, hundreds gathered in the Peace Palace in The Hague to see José Gustavo Guerrero sworn in as the first president of the International Court of Justice. This system replaced the Permanent Court of International Justice after it was dissolved with the League of Nations, a giant failure in the wake of World War II. In 1947, just a year after its conception, the court was presented with its first case. The Corfu Channel case stemmed from an issue between the United Kingdom and the People's Republic of Albania in the Corfu Channel. 
In October of 1946, a mine explosion occurred just as two of the UK's Royal Naval ships passed through the channel. The accident resulted in significant damage as well as multiple deaths. The United Kingdom brought the case to the United Nations when it suspected the explosions might have been an intentional act of violence by Albania, a government crime against the citizens of the United Kingdom. The ICJ ultimately ruled that, under international law, Albania was in fact responsible. They were then ordered to pay the British government £843,947, or £30 million today. Only Albania refused to pay. This forced the UK to return to the International Court of Justice with another complaint against the Albanian government. It wasn't until 1996, nearly five decades later, that the payments were settled. Despite what many believe, the World Court does not convict high-profile criminals or settle multinational corporate disputes. In fact, it doesn't deal with issues between individuals, corporations, or non-governmental organizations at all. Their job is to find the most just resolution to crimes committed by a nation as a whole. The ICJ deals with two different types of multinational disputes. The first is contentious issues between nations, in which the ICJ then comes to a binding ruling that the nations must adhere to. Essentially, they act as a mediator between the two sides and figure out the best possible conclusion for the world as a whole. The nations are then held accountable in seeing this resolution to an end. For example, in March of 2008, Ecuador filed a contentious case against Colombia in a dispute concerning the aerial spraying of toxic herbicides at locations near the border, poisoning the people and wildlife of Ecuador. After hearing both sides, the ICJ concluded the best solution would be to establish an exclusion zone where Colombia could no longer conduct these operations. But the nations were also instructed to create a joint commission to ensure that spraying beyond those zones was regulated and did not affect the people or environment of Ecuador. The Corfu Channel case, which we mentioned previously, was also an example of a contentious dispute. The second type of case the ICJ handles are advisory opinions. After concluding on these issues, the ICJ offers a non-binding ruling, once again adhering to suggestions in accordance with international law. Essentially, these advisory rulings are held in high regard and are considered fair assessments and interpretations of those laws. But they're not authoritative, nor is the nation forced to follow the rulings made by the court. In fact, it's more like sacred advice. For example, in December of 1994, an advisory case asked for their opinion on the following. Is the threat or use of nuclear weapons in any circumstance permitted under international law? Ultimately, the court was unable to definitively conclude whether the use of nuclear weapons was either lawful or unlawful, but they were the ones to set the precedent. If the issue were to arise on a more immediate scale, the ICJ would likely be the one to deal with the problem. So, in an unofficial way, they also needed to be lawmakers themselves. 
The ICJ concluded that they would handle negotiations if they should arise, which in the future might make the case contentious, meaning they might be called to order nuclear disarmament and the regulation of weapons. But the ICJ was always going to take the side of the people and do what was best for the world as a whole. Today, Judge Abdul Kawi Ahmed Yusuf leads the International Court of Justice as the first ever Somali to take the helm. Now all judges serve a total of nine-year terms, with five seats emptied every three years for new judges. Since its conception in 1946, the ICJ has settled over 170 different international cases, and currently there are 20 more cases that are still in progress. The most recent lawsuit is between the Republic of the Gambia and Myanmar, known widely as the Rohingya Genocide Case. On November 11, 2019, the Gambia lodged a 46-page complaint against the nation of Myanmar, claiming it had committed atrocities such as rape, arson, and murder against the people of the Rohingya communities. The Gambia, which is part of the Genocide Convention that advocates for the prevention and punishment of genocide, is one of the first nations to try and protect a country that it has no affiliation with. As a result, on January 23, 2020, the ICJ urged Myanmar to take swift measures to protect the Rohingya Muslims in the area. Many refugees who had fled to cities like Bangladesh saw massive hope in this verdict, with the prospect of one day being able to return home to the friends and family they had to leave behind. While the International Court of Justice and the United Nations wish to restore global peace by resolving issues between all nations, there's no guarantee that they won't meet the same fate the League of Nations did during World War II. Once the ICJ reaches a verdict on a contentious issue, the convicted nation is compelled to pay their dues. But the problem is, the ICJ has barely any power to enforce their verdict once it's delivered. They can't simply throw an entire country in jail. If a nation does not comply, the issue might be turned over to the United Nations to enforce the matter. And while the UN doesn't have its own military to apply force, they might install trade embargoes, impose exorbitant fines, freeze the country's assets, and instate travel bans until they pay their dues. It's certain that without the UN and the ICJ, our planet as a whole would be worse for wear. There would be no Paris Climate Agreement, counter-terrorism efforts would be disorganized and lacking in strategy, millions more would go hungry. So while we haven't yet achieved world peace, we are certainly better off today with the UN and the ICJ on our side, because we are far stronger standing together than we are existing apart. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Check out our series, Not Guilty, for more fascinating history on the justice system.
Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 